This podcast was not produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio, but rather under a kitchen table using a doona as soundproofing. But that doesn't mean the station no longer needs your financial support to stay on air. Our community is not just studios and microphones. It's people. People like yourself, who during COVID-19 value independent community information and creativity more than ever. So, we're counting on you to keep us on air. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and please support our June Station Appeal. Stay safe and thank you for your support. You also had people that were 
Very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us today from the United Kingdom is Charlotte Mears, a PhD researcher whose work recently appeared in the book The Far Right and the End of History. Thanks very much for joining us, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. I guess to start off with, uh, as a historian, this must have been a very difficult time for you these past few weeks with all of the, the statues being pulled down. Have you been able to research at all? I've been doing some research. I've actually been reaching out well, I don't know if reaching out is the right word, to some female contacts that I have within far-right groups in the UK, just kind of to look at what their opinion is on the statues. I mean, obviously, there's still, while they support the idea of strong British heritage, there's a discrepancy between how many male and female statues there are. So who would they replace these statues with is something I've been interested in. Have they put forward any names? I mean, Thatcher's always a big one, which is always very confusing. They've more said that there doesn't need to be this representation of women still, that the statues that we have are good enough. I was just going for a joke about how uh, statues are the only source of history that we have, but uh, we got an actual answer. Yeah, sorry about that. No no worries. It's uh, more than welcome. Uh, I guess in your chapter in the book, it was about women and the far right and the way that the far right uh, resituates the history of women generally and also women within far right movements. Could you speak a little bit about the ways that they resituate the role of women generally and some of the examples that you looked at? I think there's multiple ways that groups do it, which I kind of which I looked at in the book, there's, I guess, broadly trying to reclaim the history of women to better suit their own needs. With France, the biggest example is the role of Joan of Arc and how she's become a figurehead of the Front National. But wider, it seems that there's a growing recognition from the far right that they need to attract more women into the movement, that they're no longer happy to take on these traditional secondary roles and the way to do that is to find icons that they can give their message to. To what extent is that shift attributable to demands by women on the far right and to what extent is it just a a pragmatic approach adopted by the far right as a whole? I think it is largely a pragmatic approach by the far right. There's always been this kind of focus on the men of the far right that especially in images that we see traditionally there's men with the if you look in America with the guns and the motorcycle jackets but even now that's changing with the new um, images if you look at the Black Lives Matter protests and the women holding confederate flags women are becoming more politically involved on the streets and they kind of needed 
a representation of how women have always been involved in a way to legitimise their new role. In your essay in the book, you refer to the French National and National Rally and its adoption of Joan of Arc, but also Christian identity and the KKK. To begin with, Christian identity, what is it? And what's its relationship to mainstream Christianity? So Christian identity is a offshoot of evangelical Christianity. It's mainly in the southern United States, and it is a racist doctrine that believes that only Caucasian people come from the union of Adam and Eve. All other unions are either through Cain when he's cast out, or that the Jewish faith and people come from the union of Eve and the serpent, so they're literally from the devil. That is then expanded into all of their writing where they see that they should there should be a new crusade and that America is actually the home of Christianity and it is their duty to rid America of anyone that isn't white Anglo-Saxon. That seems to be a, a fairly, well, marginal interpretation of biblical doctrine. What's Christian identity's relationship with uh, mainstream Christianity? Has have these ideas found any purchase among Christians generally, or is is this are these is this belief system confined to those who identify as Christian identity members? While the group is pretty small in their those that would say that they are Christian identity movements, there are now several ministries. The Kingdom of Heaven ministry is the one that I looked at specifically. But there are now other groups. There's also, whilst these extreme views are not taken on, there is a growing sense in white majority churches that are taking on this role of kind of America as this new white Christian state that needs to be protected from outsiders. In your um, discussion of the, the KKK and women's role within it, you point to the fact that the KKK, as we know it uh, generally, was opposed to women's suffrage, but the WKKK, the women's uh, division in the 1920s, supported the extension of the suffrage or the franchise to women or to white women in order to uh, establish the KKKs and, and white voters as a more powerful force within the United States. That seems to suggest that there's a, and, and now, that there's an enduring tension between far-right doctrine generally and the place of women within it. So can you speak to how women come to identify with the far-right and what what it is that it offers women that may not be found elsewhere. I think you've actually touched on why I was so interested in why women are involved in the far right, because to me it seems a completely ludicrous idea. Why would you join an ideology that actively wants to take your rights away, put you into these supposed traditional roles that have never existed? I think there is a sense of wanting to return to a simpler time where things were easier for women, where the kind of early household where women just were mothers and looked after the children. But also with the far right, they offer solutions that no one else is. It's a lot easier to, especially in towns or places where you're, where there are now little opportunities, it offers a scapegoat where you don't have to think about your own role. For women, you can return to being kind of just a housewife where someone else can deal with your problems and that there's always someone to blame. There's always kind of the other. It's their fault. It's never your fault. I thought it was interesting when you looked at the women's Ku Klux Klan that a, 
it seemed like the KKK were reinventing a history that did actually exist uh, of the, the women being quite involved in the clan. Uh, how do they manage that contradiction of bringing back this history, but at the same time still wanting to keep women in their place? I think they manage it in the way that they manage a lot of things, by just ignoring things that aren't actually helpful to them. Uh, <laughs> so if it doesn't fit with their narrative, they just gloss over it. They've kind of just ignored that they'd ever pushed it to the back. They were like, oh, no, these guys have always been here. Don't worry about that. They're now, see, you could be a member of the women's KKK. You can do great things to help the white race. I think as well, what helps is that there was still the clear divide between the women's KKK that they went out and they did like pamphleting and they always did the more legal route. So there was never a need to, they weren't actively involved in the violence. So it still means that whilst women are still taking on these traditional roles while they get involved with the women's KKK. I mean, there's no way that I feel like the men of the KKK have now come to the decision that women are going to keep the vote, so they might as well use them. Going back to the uh, Front National National Rally and its adoption of Joan of Arc, one thing I thought was interesting, apart from anything else, is the fact that Joan of Arc has been uh, adopted as a kind of icon by feminists such as Andrea Dworkin and so on. What do you make of Joan of Arc and how do you think that she should, or her meaning and significance, should be properly interpreted? And is it the case that figures like that, because they're, you know, this is 15th century, I think, um, those figures are open to adoption by a whole range of different ideologies and groups. In a way, this goes back to the statue argument as well. It's about, especially with Joan of Arc being such a figure from, like, the far history, it means that she's able to take on ideas and roles that we wouldn't necessarily be able to give to someone that was in more recent history. As a feminist icon, I I think it's still problematic because she doesn't act as a woman. She takes on masculine roles, first of all. So that then proves problematic about for women to be strong, do they have to be masculine? And then in regard to how she takes on this new anti-immigration stance, it does in a way fit with her role of pushing She wanted to push the English out, who are now seen as invaders. So that link, although arguably not what Joan of Arc stood for, is quite easy to make in the minds of the far right, again, pushing out an unwanted presence. I think that for Joan of Arc, I think the symbolism that we should give her is that of a young woman who, in the 15th century, got rid of the English without giving her any more political charge than she needs to be. She should go back to a historical figure. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Yeah Nah Passaran on 3CR, 8.55am. We are talking to Charlotte Mears about women and the far right. 
there's a relative absence of uh, women on the far right, both especially in terms of uh, public roles. How do you interpret the role of contemporary propaganda, such as, uh, say, Lauren Southern, who uh, toured Australia just a couple of years ago in the company of Stephen Molyneux, and her tour was uh, secured or security was provided for the their tour by a, a group of local Nazis. But um, she was uh, embraced by tabloid media, presented as a kind of controversialist, despite the fact that both she and Molyneux were wanting to pr- propagate things like the Great Replacement uh, thesis that uh, was what partly motivated motivated the um, Christchurch killer to undertake his attack. So to go back to my original question, what do you think of uh, figures like Lauren Southern? Do you think that they're more likely to emerge given this apparent shift uh, on the part of the far right towards trying to uh, elevate and provide platforms for people like Southern? There's still something in human psyche that when a woman is talking about things such as the far right and racism and putting these ideas out there, there's something kind of the deviancy that people like to watch. There's something about women saying these things, in which is kind of goes as well to um, my thesis about female guards and concentration camps. There's, because it's a woman, it seemed as more wrong. It goes against gender norms. And I think that is why now the far right is using women more, because it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths that women are saying these things. But at the same time, you can't look away. You want to know more because it just seems perverse. I think the far right has caught on with ideas like this and they are increasingly pushing women to be spokeswomen and to kind of get out and do the publicity because for the media, certainly, it presents more of an interest than if a man is saying these things. You mentioned your thesis looking at the role of women guards in concentration camps. I noticed uh, one thing you've written a little bit about is how they seem to have far more of a uh, resonance in popular culture than in scholarly work. Uh, Why do you think that is, that history has sort of forgotten these women where pop culture hasn't? I think it again goes back to the idea of kind of it being perverse that we're always, it's shocking for women to commit these acts, for them to be involved in, hands-on involved in genocide is not the role that women are meant to take. There was also after the war kind of this, this reimagining of the German woman as the, as the victim of the Nazis as well, whereas the and who served within the concentration camps are actively choosing to be involved in violence. So it puts women into roles that are unfamiliar due to traditional ideas. In terms of popular culture, you've written about the depiction of Nazis in comic books. And one of the questions you've raised is, do, do these representations minimise Nazi crimes by making them into this kind of fodder. What do you think are the dangers of depicting Nazis, whether in comics or in films or other modes of popular culture? I think that there needs to be, there's the argument for artistic license. And whilst that is important for entertainment value, there should almost be a a level. If you're going to depict kind of 
Nazis and in popular culture, especially with the re-rise that we see in racism, it needs to educate as well as entertain. I think, especially if you look at comic books with, again, I've mainly looked at women, but when the female Nazis are in comic books, they're just, they just become these sexualized figures. They're always in kind of skin-tight latex, and whilst they're defeated, you'd never really take them seriously, whereas it should be that Nazis are a threat and still are with the rise that we're seeing in the far right. What you've said also brings to mind the fact that just recently there was a um, person in the UK who um, adopted the name of uh, or won an award for uh, for being Miss Hitler and uh, as part of the National Action Group and was was sent to prison just recently. I guess that competition that they won, however ludicrous it was, seemed to be motivated both by a desire to present what they understood to be a positive image of women, but was also aimed at kind of, or it was a manifestation of kind of trolling culture. Have you examined the ways in which men and women and gender have been manipulated in a way that uh, is is akin to a kind of trolling of mainstream politics? No, I haven't really, I would say. What I would say is about the Miss Hitler competition, I guess. it there That wasn't the first one. It has happened before. But it's, again, kind of... It's giving kind of statutes on how women and men also should look if they want to be part of this Aryan collective. It's about who has the most, like, who looks the best way that they should, who has the lightest skin and the best hair. Again, kind of creating a sense of competition of who could be the best of the far right. So it's it's kind of based on the aesthetic appeal of these images. It's to, to render Nazi politics more attractive to, to young people. Yes, I think so. It also creates a wider sense of community in a way. And much the way that music used to within the 70s and 80s, it's, again, using more modern ideas to foster a sense of community. Such as very odd thing is, you know the new Animal Crossing game? Yes. I don't know if Andy does, but I do, yes. I'm not that familiar with it, but I'm sure Cam is. <laughs> there's, there's been kind of competitions on who could make their village the most Aryan there's like with confederate flags and nazi flags uh, created during their own customization and what villages are the best for would be the best in terms of nazi ideals all the villages are animals though, so i don't really know how that works <coughs> well, everyone's been keeping busy during the lockdown i guess yeah there have been a number of instances in the Australian media, at least in very recent times, of the sort of trad wife aesthetic being uh, presented as, you know, just here's the, the fun new thing that young women are doing. Uh, how does that, that aesthetic fit into all this? Is, this is, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, I think so, kind of, yeah, to make it more appealing to to younger women especially because previously it was very much you should return you should be natural all about kind of braiding your hair in the old german style and where this wasn't working it's now they've had to it seems like the far right have had to 
change into, okay, well, how can you be the best version of what we're telling you in this way, but still make it relatable? As, as you said, you're, in your thesis, you're examining the role of female concentration camp guards. And I, I find, you know, as do many um, examining, that kind of material can be pretty grim. How do you go about navigating and, and um, exploring this material without being um, becoming very, um, I guess, depressed? Is it wrong to say I have a beer after every time I go to the archive? <laughs> it's kind of about having a balance, I guess. Kind of if I go to an archive for a couple of months, I'll make sure that every weekend I'm not there, I'll go on a little trip somewhere else. And just kind of drawing the line between, okay, I've done the work, I need a break, go and do something that's got nothing to do with any of this. Because it can get a bit too much sometimes. You start to wonder is there anyone that's actually a good person anymore? But then you just have to take that time away. I guess just to finish up, uh, you mentioned that you have contacts, female contacts within the far right. Uh, what do they see as the, the future of the movement at the moment? At the moment, I think they're very positive, which is surprising because of the kind of the huge upsurge with the, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest, which has been, I don't know if it's been in kind of as, big in Australia but certainly over here in the UK as well we've had a lot of protests but what they're taking from it is that it quite simply splits people in half so if you're not supporting it then they can kind of see oh okay this is a good place for us to get in for us to share our thoughts I know that they've certainly seen an upsurge in people looking at their websites, asking for more information and actively kind of saying, no, something isn't right. We do need to look back at a more sense of Britishness, whatever that means, and getting more involved, but just depressing. On that depressing note, uh, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. People would like to find you on Twitter at Charlotte E. Mears, M-E-A-R-S. Well, that was very interesting, Andy. Yes, Cam, it was. Do you know what else is interesting, Andy? No. What else is interesting, Kat? Uh, 3CR is currently in the midst of a station appeal. Of course. How now, can I forget? Andy, why do you think that people should donate to the station appeal at 3cr.org.au slash donate? Well, apart from anything else, Cam, I can assure listeners that for every dollar they donate to 3CR, it's guaranteed to produce one Nazi tier. So if you don't like Nazis, please give to 3CR. Well, that's all we've got time for, Andy. Okay, okay. Global Intifada is up next. We'll be back next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Cause then
Isolated? Quarantined? Need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid Nam is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on queeraidmelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook. COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. Melbourne's local documentary film festival is going online and nationwide from the 30th of June until the 15th of July. Canvassing an eclectic range of documentaries from South by Southwest, Slam Dance and Tribeca to Music, video games and true crime, with over 55% locally made in Melbourne and across Australia. Check it out at www.mdff.org.au. Prices start from $8 a stream. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. (laughs) 